from our couches, from our desks, from our kitchen tables and back porches and playgrounds and more, we gather together for community and guidance and inspiration. Across the country, across the internet, we journey together to live more deeply into our Unitarian Universalist values. Our laptops on laptops and desktops and phones and tablets, we see each other as our whole selves, loved and loving and authentic and broken and beautiful. Welcome to this worship service, both strange and familiar. I'm the Reverend Bob LaValle, and I'm delighted to be joined here today by our worship leader, John Eldridge. And thank you very much, Reverend Emily Wright Magoon, for presenting our Time for All Ages. Our DJ today is Cy Schuster, and our tech team is Dan Small, Chris Paul, Raymond Wolfgang, and Erica, Erica Johnson Jimenez. Thank you all so much for co-creating worship with us. And I'm particularly delighted to introduce our guest preacher today, Reverend Leslie Takahashi. Reverend Takahashi is the senior minister at Mount Diablo Unitarian Universalist Church in Walnut Creek, California. She was also the chair of the Unitarian Universalist Association's Commission on Institutional Change team that created the Widening the Circle of Concern report. Do I have a copy here? I do. You can learn more about the report by going to the link that will appear in the chat shortly or typing in UUA Widening the Circle into your browser's search bar. There are people here at First Unitarian who are putting together a study group to see how the recommendations in the report might apply to this church. So if you're interested, shoot me an email or just say so in the chat. We always save the chat, so we'll have it captured there. <clears throat> Reverend Takahashi also teaches at Meadville Lombard Theological School, which is where I had the good fortune to meet her and learn from her. And, you know, despite the pandemic, we are still blessed to welcome new members and visitors. So if you're new here, and if you're so inclined, I invite you to type your name into the chat and tell us where you're watching from. We'd like to be able to welcome you. All right. Uh, finally, we're always trying to get better at Zoom worship. And one way to do that is to better understand what devices folks are using to come to worship. So I'm going to launch a short poll right now, and I invite you to vote. Now, if you're co-hosted, please don't vote. But everybody else, we want to know how you're logging in. Hey, welcome Tammy Smith from New in New Mexico. We're glad you're here. All right, got about 74 folks voting so far. She's going to give us another minute. Let's see. All right. Interesting. Um, oh, someone closed the vote for the poll. Who did that? 
Sorry, y'all. Well, there's the results we have so far, which are really interesting. We show most folks are on a PC and then Apple computers after that. Then iPads, looks like uh, iPhones, all right, and other tablets. And then no, none of the above. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's really good information for us. It'll help us do a better job of serving you. And also want to welcome Gerald Stratton, who's in Albuquerque, and Kathy Peterson in Champaign, Illinois. And we're so glad that you're all here. And John has a few announcements. Good morning. Great to be with you again. We have two announcements this morning. It's safe to say that we're all looking forward to the time when we can meet together in person for both small groups and for worship. The first Unitarian COVID Advisory Council has been meeting to consider how to do this in a way that is both safe and reflects our Unitarian Universalist values. While many in the churches of adults have been vaccinated, many in our congregation have not, particularly our younger members. In addition, we also are in a dynamic situation with the virus variants that are less well understood. At least one variant appears to be more contagious. Know that the council has been deliberating with many perspectives in mind and shares all of our desires to open as soon as safety allows. You may have heard that the ARC building, which abuts our church property on the south side is up for sale. We are moving forward towards purchasing the building and one of the steps to doing so is holding a congregational vote to approve the loan and the purchase. We will be holding a special congregational meeting at 2 p.m. on Sunday, May 2nd to vote on the ARC building as well as purchasing our solar panels, which we currently rent. Details on both transactions will be coming, so please watch the church website and the monthly messenger for more information as the date approaches. Those are our two announcements. Let's put aside our everyday concerns now and focus on lighting of our chalice. When we kindle this light, we are joining with earnest people everywhere who seek in the midst of their busy lives, a deeper way, a larger hope, a just and peaceful world. Come, let us worship together. Precioso 
children's affirmation? We are Unitarian Universalists. We are a people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Hello, I'm Reverend Emily Wright Magoon. My family and I moved to Albuquerque this year and we are delighted to be part of your community. And I'm so glad that Reverend Angela and Reverend Bob have asked me to tell you a story today. This is a story from a country called Haiti. Some of the people in Haiti speak French, so some of the words in this story will be in French. One of the characters in this story is called God. And as we know, God is one of the many names that some people use to describe that wonderful mystery we can't quite put to words. Some people in this church use other words. Some people use God. So here's the story. Once there was a drought in the land. All the streams dried up. There was no place for anyone to get water. All the animals met to discuss the situation. There was the dog the horse, the cow, the goat, and all the other animals. They decided to ask God for help. They told God how very bad it was. God said, I will give you one well for everyone to use for water. But one of you must be the caretaker, making sure that no one abuses the well or lets the water get dirty. The lizard, Mabuya, spoke up and said, I will do it. God said, Yes, Mabuya, you can be the caretaker. So Mabuya leapt up on the rim of the well. So one by one, the animals came to the well, first the cow. Mabuya heard the steps and said, Ki ela? Who's there? 
qui est là? Who's there? Who is walking in my grove? The cow said, C'est moi, it is I, the cow. I'm coming for water, I'm thirsty. And Mabuya replied, Va, ton, go away. Va, ton, go away. This is God's well. So the cow turned around and away she went, and she suffered from thirst. Next came the horse. When Mabuya heard the horse's footsteps, Mabuya said, Ki ela, who's there? Ki ela, who's there? Who is walking in my grove? The horse said, Sema, it is I, I am coming for water, I am so thirsty. But Mabuya, Mabuya said, Va, ton, go away. Va, ton, go away. This is God's well. So the horse, too, had to turn around and suffer from thirst. Now, one by one, the animals all came to the well looking for water, for they were so thirsty. And each time, Mabuya said the same thing, Vaton, this is God's well. Now, when God saw that the creatures were suffering, God said, Kiskispas, what is going on? I gave the animals a well for everyone to use, and here they are dying of thirst. So God went to the well. Now I wonder what that sounded like. Well, when Mabuya heard God approaching, Mabuya said, Ki ela, who's there? Ki ela, who's there? Who is walking in my grove? And God replied, C'est moi, it is I. God, I am coming for water. I am thirsty. And Mabuya, guess what Mabuya replied? Va, ton, go away. Va, ton, go away. This is God's well. Now, in case Mabuya hadn't understood, God said again, C'est moi, God. But Mabuya just repeated, Va, ton. And so God left Mabuya. And God called all the animals to the well to drink so that they were no longer thirsty. And God said to the animals, If someone has a well in their garden, the hole in the ground is theirs, but the water belongs to God. And so it belongs to everyone. I will appoint a new caretaker, said God, who will make sure that everyone can drink when they are thirsty. So God appointed the frog. And the frog leapt up on the rim of the well. And now frog can be heard all day and all night singing, Venez pas, come and drink. Venez pas, come and drink. This is God's well, and it is for you. And so there is a saying in the land, the water in the well is God's and belongs to everyone. Hmm. Delightful. <clears throat>
Let's pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and the prayer. You know, one of the beauties of meditation is that it's always a loyal friend. No matter how long it's been since the last time we sat in meditation, no matter how brief we make our meditation periods, meditation always welcomes us back. Every day offers a new opportunity to start our practices again. Every breath is an invitation to become more centered, more grounded, more in touch with ourselves. In the spirit of new beginnings, we'll sit in sacred silence together for two minutes. Our communities strengthen when we help each other bear our burdens as well as celebrate our joys. Please use the chat bar to share what is on your heart and to support others as they share what's on their hearts. If you're una unable to write in the chat bar, please contact the church office or send an email to caring at uuabq.org. The video will prompt us first to share our joys and then to share our concerns. Shine on me, oh, shine on me. Let the light from the lighthouse shine on me, oh, 
these joys and concerns, plus those joys and concerns held in our hearts unspoken, but no less deeply felt, all of them we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. We mourn the passing of James Agolf of Saddlebrook, Arizona, who is the father of First Unitarian congregant Denise Bleakley. May James' loved ones know comfort, and may light perpetual shine upon James. We also mourn the passing of Molly Templin, the mother of Reverend Katie Colbert, who is a minister who has shared a few times for all ages with this congregation. May Katie and her family find peace, and may light perpetual shine upon Molly. We offer, our, we offer blessings for our Muslim siblings as the period of devotional fasting, fasting known as Ramadan begins this Tuesday. May they know support and may their efforts bring spiritual deepening. 
And I'm so glad to share this prayer. We lift up with joy our former intern, Jane Davis, who saw the Ministerial Fellowship Committee this weekend and is now cleared for ordination. May she feel the support and gratitude of this congregation as we celebrate with her. And Reverend Takahashi has shared a prayer for us. Good morning. I'm Reverend Leslie Takahashi. My pronouns are she and her. And I invite you to join me in a moment of reflection, meditation, and that deep ask of prayer. Spirit of life, God whose highest name is love, mystery known only as the more, that which is larger than ourselves. We pray this morning because we know in our hearts now that there are things that are larger than we are, things that are out of control. We pray for the victims of violence in these last weeks, where once again our unhealed wounds are causing injury, and for those whose wounds are being reopened by the Derek Chauvin trial and fears that victims of violence will be put on trial rather than the perpetrators. Today we pray for all of those Asian elders who don't feel safe walking the neighborhoods that they have walked in for generations. And we pray for those who are crossing our borders because of changing climate, dangerous economics, and because of life-threatening conditions as people scrabble for scarce resources in the countries they are leaving. Today we pray because there are many threats that are beyond our control, entangled in complex webs which are tied up with our views about race and poverty and many other aspects of human being. We pray, we ask that we reach beyond our own limits and find other resources that will allow us to learn and hold together this complexity. We ask from this deep place, because in previous generations, slain leaders have asked. They knew that simple calculus was a myth. Today we pray for the strength to see the interrelated truths they saw. We ask for insight to remember that because we wished for simple answers, one function formulas that would cost us little in time or effort, we are where we are today. We pray because we know that the world's accounting is more intricate than we knew a year ago, that the ledgers have many columns and that the headings on these columns read not just racial reckoning, but also poverty, income inequality, criminal concentration of wealth, climate change, and on and on. We ask from the deepest wells of our heart that we acknowledge that through our actions, we have allowed the pernicious kudzu of systemic oppression to grow and spread, killing the healthy life it covers. And now, that we cannot unknow what we already know now in our deepest heart, we see that the trajectory of hatred is as wide as the arc of the universe is long. 
And while it may bend towards justice, we ask ourselves in these moments when we come together to hold what we cannot hold alone, will we have acted in time? We ask for the strength and commitment to stay in the struggle and see it through this time spirit. This prayer caught between pandemic isolation and the reemergence into something that we do not know, but which we know has cracks and fissures is our plea. Most of all, with all of our hearts, we pray that we will not forget again. Amen, amen, and blessed be.
I'm going to do a reading this morning. It's from Widening the Circle of Concern, the report of the UUA Commission on Institutional Change, which was published last June. It's from the Trends chapter. The world around us is different than it was a decade ago or even five years ago. The question is, how will our living tradition keep up this time? What choices will we make or fail to make, and how will that affect the relevancy and survival of our faith? Here are some realities as we enter into these times. Our nation is moving away from institutionalized religion. Fewer people are participating in religious communities. And parenthetically, if you saw the New York Times a study just released a few weeks ago that's even more stark now. Emerging generations report higher rates of people not affiliated with institutional forms of religion. Those as known as the nuns because they have checked the nun box when asked about religious affiliation. Increasingly, younger generations are the ones exiting religious institutions, while Unitarian Universalism often looks at the slightly increased number of people who identify as atheists and who identify as not religious as an opportunity for us. Some of the reasons appear to be tied to the nature of our religious institutions as much as changing beliefs. Unitarian Universalism is not immune. We too are losing congregations and have many teetering on the edge of collapse. While we typically refer to 1,000 congregations, in truth we have about 819 congregations that would meet the standard to become a congregation today. And that was a year ago, before the pandemic took its ravages. As institutional religion declines, more who enter our doors are not refugees from other faiths, but are experiencing faith communities for the first time through our faith, and they are seeking spiritual grounding. The demographics of our nation have changed, and with them expectations around cultural competency. New generations face a much bleaker future than those who are now at the end of their career or in retirement. The lack of opportunity is felt by many new generations, and this trend will be exacerbated. Income inequality affects younger people disproportionately, and a new level of despair caused by climate change, increased awareness of the problems of the world, addiction, and other things mean that more people come into our congregations and our communities seeking a sustaining faith. A year ago, a little more than a year now actually, we were planning our first live stream only service. Even before that first virtual service, we took our Elder Journey group virtual. This group of folks who are mostly in their mid-80s or their 90s, have been online on Zoom since the end of February. And I'm pleased to say that we have had just somewhere between 15 and 30 people every week, but two for a year. It wasn't hard for us to do because if you're a person of color in Unitarian Universalism or any other person with a marginalized identity among us, you have been living on Zoom for many years to keep yourself grounded, and actually to allow you to survive as a Unitarian Universalist.
This diasporic way of gathering is the way you live if you're just one of a few of a people who share your identity. And most recently, in this last month, I have been on Zoom nationally for many vigils, trying to hold the pain of you use of Asian American descent in light of the killings in our nation. So I didn't face some of the technical challenges that many of my colleagues did. However, I faced something that was harder to get over, and that was a psychological and spiritual challenge, because I had, at that point, spent almost three years as part of the UUA's Commission on Institutional Change. And we had taken a lot of that time, the first two years, really, to hear the stories of and experiences of black, indigenous, and people of color who were within Unitarian Universalism, to hear them, record them, and hold them. And that was very hard work, many hard, heartbreaking hours on Zoom. Particularly hard were the accounts of the ways that cultural divides affected ministers and other religious professionals of color who had sacrificed so much to become leaders only to realize that the trappings of who they were were wanted like a, like a badge of honor, but not the true experience perspective and intelligence they brought. Having listened to those accounts, I carry their memory. It is really a legacy that I feel that I hold as an act of accountability. Whenever I speak about this issue, whenever I think about whether I'm too tired to do the work of racial justice among us. And the report I just read from is really like a, a great memorial testimonial to the sacrifices they have made over the years. The work of the commission only seemed to grow more important in this last year of virtual gatherings, where people could decide to go to worship online with a church that's more diverse, just like that. Where in those little boxes that we had in our, our virtual coffee hours, it was really stark when someone made an aggressive comment or an ignorant, culturally incompetent comment to another person. It was more relevant in a year of racial reckoning, a year when an insurrection exposed what years of fanning the flames of hate can ignite. From the report, we are all unanimous in our belief that the recommendations of this report are more relevant for a post-pandemic Unitarian Universalism, not less. This crisis has revealed the disparities that exist at all levels of well-being for black people, indigenous people, and for other people of color, as well as for LGBTQ individuals, people living with limited economic means, and people living with disabilities. Addressing them within our faith becomes more important, not less. Since we published that report, Widening the Circle of Concern, last spring, it seems as if we have only seen more. Here are some more words that we really have to take into our hearts. Many of our congregations are in trouble with dwindling memberships, participation, and financial contributions. A factor that contributes to this decline is our inability to address issues of inclusion, diversity, and equity. 
We start this section with two assertions. First, that real-time, face-to-face congregations matter, even with all the challenges to maintain them and in a time when church-going is less valued by many in younger generations. Though we can see how much has been accomplished virtually, we also know the value of face-to-face experiences, which are much more accessible, especially for those with limited technological skills and financial resources. And second, we know that we will also need to support alternative and often virtual communities in order to ensure the survival of communal association, especially for younger Unitarian Universalists of color and those living in areas where less mainstream identities are less common. I know that we're tired. I know that it has been a very long year of pandemic and then five years of political upheaval and distress. I know that some of us see overt conversations about race and culture as divisive and they just wanna move to unity and listening and moderate positions that just don't hear anybody who's saying anything too agitating. Yet most of us who have that sentiment are not among those most targeted by hatred in these last five years, especially not black people, immigrants, people who are gender non-binary. People come into our communities and our congregations, and if we can return to our foundational beliefs and the covenantal practice of helping one another be better and learn into a new way of being, more might stay from the report. When we talk about the need to become more diverse, inclusive, and equitable, at a basic level, we are talking about hospitality. Our congregations need new practices around hospitality so that fewer people are repelled. In a time in which fewer and fewer people believe that it's important to be part of any kind of religious community, it should be heartbreaking to us that all people who need our saving message, who are sure that our values could help transform their lives, are trying to be a part of us and yet cannot exist within our communities because we lack basic skills in welcoming their personhood and the gifts of all people. Without a focus on what we truly believe, we regress to our least common denominator. The work and the values of Unitarian Universalism cannot be realized in a system that is centered around one cultural expression. Systems, policies, practices, and expressions of Unitarian Universalism that bias one racial or cultural group above the others make mockery of those two core values that we have, the pillar principles of the worth and dignity of all that we affirm and also the interdependent web of all existence. We are called into efforts, the report says, to name and change them as acts of witness to a fuller and more authentic expression of our faith. Hospitality and our foundational beliefs have much to offer those who are affected by the turbulent changes in our world. And while we are glad that things seem to be calming down a little bit, we know that we're in a world where there will be much more change. To meet the needs of today's world in our living tradition, we need to shift into a faith positive version of what we do believe rather than being the people who at coffee hour and dinner parties with UU friends sit around talking about what we don't believe and why we're better than everyone else for that. 
Because what we need in this chaotic and disturbing world is to believe in something, to be anchored by something. From the report, many of us have come into this faith seeking an alternative faith home drawn by our actions in the world, yet we don't often work to heal from our religious past. Those most harmed by the divisive and stressful times we live in are in need of faith tenants that can hold us fast in confusing times and help us make ethical and values-based choices about how to engage. We can offer deep hospitality in this post-traumatic pause after a time of plague and hate and restrictions of rights. We are starting to burst out of those little boxes that we've been trapped in for a year. And many of us are focused on the next thing we want to do for our own souls and selves. Yet what are we doing to plan for how we collectively are going to continue to address the things that we have seen during these last years? We have places that we know now that we can't ignore, the fissures and the cracks that endanger our house, our neighborhoods, and our larger democratic society. Yet we know places we can rebuild on the rock sound solid foundation of a widening circle of concern. The work that the commission did, I wanna say again, was not just the work of five and six actually individuals who just put a lot of their time and effort and heartbreak into it. It was the legacy of all of those who have tried to enter in among us, many of whom left without ever seeing their promises fulfilled. It's not about how to do a little racial justice work over here on the side. It's about how to weave the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion into everything we do, worship, governance, lifespan, religious education, justice, spiritual practice, and our very important work as employers, as you all know, as people who actually employ religious professionals of color. Let's remember together how tired we are. Let us name our fears. And let's also remember how we can build forward because we have some reconstruction to do together. If there's one thing that this last year has taught us, it's that we are, in fact, better together. Let us remember all that we've learned, that holding paradox is the joy in the possibility and the sorrow in the canyons of division that now are among us as nation, as neighbors, and even within our families. As we do break out of those boxes, let us remember to truly look around and see that what we're seeing are actual people with needs and who need us, many of them, to welcome diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and it's growth, which is liberating for all of us. It breaks us all out of the boxes that we have been held in culturally. It's gonna take time, and we need a Unitarian Universalism that is solid in our theological legacy as well, that those beliefs for which our spiritual ancestors sacrificed so much so that we could have a religion that is free to allow us to find our own spiritual path and also to do the work of reconstructing the world and building, as our universalist ancestors used to say, heaven on this earth. The grief group at our congregation has also been meeting online each month. And what a time this has been for grieving. In a way, 
I think I will remember my time as chairing the Commission on Institutional Change as surely the greatest honor and service of my career. Also, though, as the time of the greatest grief. It was a prolonged grief meditation for all that we have lost that could be among us today. We have lost so many of the black indigenous people of color who could be here now sharing their particular knowledges, their energy, their intelligence about what it means to survive in times where you need resilience and joy. Through the study and commitment to this legacy work, we can honor their life's energy and offer reparation by creating for those who come after them what we did not create in their lifetime. That was what my late friend, Alandria Williams, the former co-moderator of the UUA, who died just a few months after completing uh, service, taught uh, many. E will not see the place that we're building towards, and yet E has done and given so much life energy to move us forward. And other leaders that we lost in this last year too, I wanna name the Reverends Hope Johnson and Chester McCall, ministers of African descent who taught us to love despite the disrespect they experienced among us. These are legacies that we can hold and make reparations to through our attention. As we emerge from this pandemic seared world that is cracked in ways that we know, we can be the gold in the middle of those cracks. We can bring those pieces back together the way that Japanese artisans bring broken pieces of pottery back together. We can do this and I know that we can make the changes and grow into the exuberance of learning how to be more accountable to all who would seek to be among us. I wanna take a moment of gratitude to my friend and colleague, Reverend Bob Laval, for the invitation to join you here today and to honor Reverend Angela Herrera as she takes that sabbatical time that is so important and more essential for those of us who hold marginalized identities. Your minister and your support of this ministry is one of the ways we widen that circle. We pay homage and reparations and be accountable to a different face of Unitarian Universalism. As we break out of these boxes that have held us in, not just for the last year, but for generations and centuries, may we do so with the excitement about the personal pleasures we will resume and also the great work that is ours to take up for future generations. We can be both grateful and grieving, released and committed, ecstatic and realistic, dance happy and downhearted. And we know that we can be the people who challenge ourselves to look at the possibility of redemption that exists within each person, which gives them worth and dignity despite what others might do through their ugly, hate-spewing, despicable, and humanity-denying actions. We can be that place of sanctuary because of our belief in interdependence, which means that we are the people that give up the temporary, high with a hangover kind of need for personal I told you so's or victory and instead look at the whole family of humanity and see what it is we need to do to move forward to recognize that we do need one another, that we are bound together, as scary as that sometimes is when we think about it. Let us 
let us continue to commit to being the ones who widen the circle of concern. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning. May we live and be with each other in a way that shows this truth. Whatever the day brings, that we are never indifferent to one another. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. The great folks at our Social Justice Council alerted us to a mistake made regarding our Change for the Future program. In February, we announced that we were donating to the American Civil Liberties Union of New Mexico, but actually our quarter of donating to SAGE had not ended yet. So the February offerings went to SAGE. Not to worry, the ACL will still get its three months of change for the future donations in March, April, and May. The ACLU of New Mexico protects and advances justice, liberty, and equity as guaranteed by the constitutions of New Mexico and the United States. It is especially focused on groups that have been historically disenfranchised. If you have any questions or concerns about your donations for change of the future in February, please contact the church office. The Change for the Future link also appears in the chat. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church. If applicable, include Change for the Future on the memo line. Let us now exercise the enduring power of our generosity.
What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you for old dogs that are barking. Thank you for, and thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and the ACLU of New Mexico. We're coming towards the end of our service. And of course you're invited to stay after, just go into our breakout rooms. And I invite you to share in this discussion topic, it's, what faith tenets hold you fast? What anchors you? I'm going to put that in the chat. There we go. Did that go in there? There we go. So I invite you to stay and enjoy that conversation. In the meantime, let's extinguish our chalices. As we work to create a new way for Unitarian Universalism, may we always widen the circle of concern. Go in peace, gentle people, and practice radical love.